Welcome to The Healing Catalyst. I'm your host, Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh, and I know that Ayurveda can transform your life. How? Because it transformed mine. And the best part is, it's easier than you think. Your body has exactly what it needs to heal itself. All you need to do to enhance its healing power is to start practicing healthy routines, which I can teach you. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple, ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. Let's get started. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 31. Well, hello, hello, my beautiful listeners. Welcome to October, one of my favorite months of the year. The leaves are turning color, the weather is getting cooler, the holidays are right around the corner, and we're headed into the end of the year, which honestly can be really anxiety provoking for a lot of people, myself included, because it feels like it's the beginning of a sprint to accomplish the goals that we set back in January of the year. I know I've felt this way for so many years of my life, and I've also really been working on shifting my perspective over the past few years to look at the end of the year as a time to reflect on my growth and appreciate how much I have done rather than focusing on what I haven't done. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't really easy. We live in a world that's always telling us that we're not enough, that we're not doing enough, that we're not accomplishing enough, that we're not this enough, not that enough, not good enough. You know, we live in a world of go, go, go and do, do, do. And this is a story that we've all bought into, myself included, a story created by human beings, not by nature. You see, nature sees October as a time of harvest, of reaping the fruits of our efforts earlier in the year. Nature doesn't look at this time of harvest as a time of pushing and grinding. It sees it as a time of appreciation for the growth that took place earlier in the year. It's a time to enjoy quite literally the fruits and vegetables that have been growing for the past six months. It's a cycle. It's not growth and growth and growth and growth all year long. So why do we think that we need to keep doing and doing and doing and growing all year long? Why do we think we're exempt from the rules of nature or the laws of nature? We too must go through cycles of death, of rebirth, of growth, and then of harvest. And as women, we experience this type of cycling on a monthly basis through our hormones, which have a profound effect on all aspects of health. And so as we move into the month of October, let's move into a new intention, heal your hormones. Because what I've discovered in my work with hundreds of women, and even for myself personally, is that we don't tap into the power of our hormonal cycles. We spend a lot of time pushing and grinding against our natural hormonal cycles. 
Instead, what I found is that when we tap into this power, when we start to shift into appreciation for our cycles, for ourselves, just as we are in this moment, this affects every aspect of our health positively, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Which is why I was so thrilled to talk to Dr. Marisa Snyder on today's episode of the podcast. Dr. Snyder is a chiropractor whose focus and expertise is in functional wellness for women, specifically around hormonal health. She's also the author of seven books, including her newest that was published earlier this year, The Essential Oils Menopause Solution. And she's also the host of the Essentially You podcast, designed to empower women to become the CEO of their own health. Dr. Snyder has also been featured on Dr. Oz and in Oprah Magazine, Mind Body Green, and many other publications. In our conversation, Dr. Snyder tells us about her own healing journey and her discovery that she had a lineage of hormonal imbalance. It's absolutely fascinating. And we dive deeper into the stories that are attached to women's menstrual cycles from a very early age and how this affects how we as women view our own hormonal fluctuations negatively. We talk about why our menstrual cycle is the fifth vital sign and go through the four phases of a woman's cycle and how to tap into the power of each phase to support our health and wellness. If you've ever struggled with hormonal imbalance, grab a cup of tea and maybe a pen and paper because Dr. Schneider goes over so much valuable information on this episode. But don't worry if you missed something because I've also created a resource for all of you to download. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to that. I know that this conversation will help you tap into the power of your hormonal cycle to heal your hormones and hopefully help you begin to appreciate the cycles that we go through, shifting how you view this last part of the year from a time of sprinting towards a finish line on December 31st, instead into a time of appreciation for all of your growth over the past year. Marisa, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for this conversation and honored to be here. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It's a mutual feeling. I know that we've had one other conversation before and we could have kept talking. So I feel like this is a little bit of a, con a continuation of our earlier conversation that we had. You know, I really love to start by talking about people's journeys, especially women who are health professionals like myself, because I find that many of us who have come to integrated wellness, functional medicine, it's usually because of our own story. Um, and I think that that's really helpful to a lot of listeners. And so, you know, I want to hear more about your story. So tell me about, you know, your earlier years, your younger years, your childhood, whatever you'd like to start with. Yeah, absolutely. And my childhood, as you can imagine, shaped so much of who I am today and so much of my path into women's hormone um, information, just being able to educate women. Again, I know that, you know, a lot of women have overcome a lot of things and their hormones have definitely played, you know, kind of just managed the situation as they, as, as they continued in their life and in their health journey. And so I, you know, when I was younger, I, a couple things kind of really stick out to me. One, um, it was really evident that I wasn't a very smart child. That was one thing that I just kept getting like beaten into me over and over and over again, is that 
um, that I really struggled in school and that had a huge impact on me um, heading into junior high and high school and beyond. And then the other thing is that, you know, uh, for my family, for my parents, you know, things, life was not very easy. There was a lot of a lot of um, hardships and in, in, in circumstances and um, and eventually kind of led to just abusive behaviors when I was a little girl. So I was abused as a little girl. And and um, that really took a bigger form when I was in my kind of my early teens into my teenage years. And it got it got pretty bad for me. And ultimately, you know, in although I could not leave my situation, I mentally checked out of that situation. And I remember at the age of 12, at this point, from this point, I had not done very well in school. I was a C, D, and F student, and I had failed first grade due to, you know, not so great situations as a little girl. And then I, you know, the schools threatened to hold me back multiple times. I just really continued to struggle. And I remember finally moving to my dad's house um, and that, that family situation I thought was going to be better for me and because I felt like there was more stability. And, um, I thought they were going to be really focused on me doing well in school and having that stable place. And, and I remember getting sat down, you know, right when I moved there and being told that they didn't care how well I did in school. They didn't care if my grades were bad. If I were just a C average student, that was totally fine. And as long as I just didn't get into trouble, as long as I was a really good girl, it was fine. And, and then the year played out and that they meant it. (laughs) They really did. And I remember sitting in my bedroom, my little bedroom as a 13 year old, and I knew that I had made a bad decision moving there. And I didn't know how to get out because the, the courts had been awarded custody of me and I just didn't see a way out of there. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like I had to figure out a way out of here. And the first thing that came to my mind in this commitment was that I I needed to get to college and I was going to be the only one who was going to do that for me. And so what that meant, I think I had like, I forget how many, I think it was like a thousand days that I had to get through to get out of there or more. And I had the exact number on paper. (laughs) I had done the math. And um, I remember in that day, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to get out of there, that I was going to go to college and I was going to become something because they, they didn't really have a lot of stock in who I became or what I became. And I didn't seem like they cared at all. And then I remember after making that commitment to myself, I asked myself, well, how are you going to do that? You don't do so well in school. And I was like, how do you get smart? And I was like, well, you read, you read. And so I read everything and anything under the sun. At one point I was reading a, a book a day. I became a speed reader. By the time I graduated, wow. I read hundreds and hundreds of books. And I graduated top of my class with a 4.9 GPA. And I got multiple, um, I got multiple um, academic full, full scholarships off to school. And I just, one day, I just disappeared. I was gone. I, went, I just, one day I left a note and I never came back. And I went off to college. And so that drove me this behavior of, of overachievement. <laughs> And that overachievement behavior and trauma led to severe chronic fatigue and burnout because I was chasing worthiness in my achievements. And I was determined. I remember hearing this quote when I was a little girl that the best revenge is good living. And I was determined to live so good. I was determined to create so much success to just show them how they were so wrong about me. 
And I remember getting, getting kind of that place and looking back and realizing that no one even was paying attention. (laughs) No one even knew that I was trying to like show them. Um, But that trauma and that lack of worthiness led to a lot of illness and a lot of sickness. And at 30 years old, I literally couldn't get out of bed. And I remember looking back and thinking like, I have got to clean this up. And it took me several years to realize that it was these, these deep held beliefs and these traumas that were continuing to land me back on the floor. And, um, and I find myself still very much in that inner work today, especially as a new mama to my baby boy, Kingston. So that is why I became a hormone expert. Um, and I didn't even know I was doing it for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, that's so much awareness in that, you know, it, what you're telling me reminds me of something actually that I've talked to both my kids about because they've both had a lot of health challenges and it's the same drive that has helped them overcome those health challenges that also can actually lead to more health issues if it's not, you know, regulated. And mm-hmm. it's almost a sort of what you're saying is that that drive to have a better life, to sort of show them or to make something of yourself is what got you to college and, and got you where you wanted to go. And then it sort of like, it just continued and then led to health issues. So it's so interesting how there's no good or bad. I always say that in Ayurveda that, you know, nothing is good or bad. It's just about when it's happening, why it's happening and to whom it's happening and in the context of when it's happening. And so, you know, eating a salad can be good or bad, depending on what's going on with you. Having, you know, a lot of motivation and drive that you're talking about can be good and bad. It got you to where you are. And then it also led to you overworking yourself. So thank you for sharing that. First of all, I mean, it was really, really, um, really kind of you and generous of you to share something so dear to you with all of us. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. I don't share too often. I usually start with the story at 30 years old, you know? And so I, dif- I, I apologize for not navigating it so well. I was trying to protect no. people and I was trying to, I was like, how do I say this without not saying it? You know, it's, <laughs> it's a little messy. No, you did an amazing job. I think, I think what you were trying to to tell us came, came across beautifully. So thank you for doing that. I, I know that's hard to do, yes. um, especially when you're in the healing professional sharing some things that are very vulnerable can be, be hard. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting because the, the story that you're telling me, I, I read quite a bit about you and read some of your books and, and tried to get a real clear sense of your work. And you wrote somewhere that, you know, you come from a lineage of hormone imbalance. And I thought that was such an interesting way to say it or to, to talk about sort of where you felt this history was coming from. Can you talk to us more about that? What you meant by that? Absolutely. Well, I think this was at a time where I didn't really realize that it was truly a maternal lineage of trauma. And that there was a lot of women in my family, my mom, my grandmother, my aunts that had overcome a lot and had had a lot of trauma and abuse. And because of that, 
that led to my grandmother had menstrual cycle issues. She had a terrible time in perimenopause and menopause, you know, to the point that she was given mama's little helper. She was given value and um, a tranquilizer for (laughs) using a lot of women back then. And then my mom um, had very severe hormone issues, my sister as well. And so as I looked back at the at my, the, my family and their history and the women in my life, everyone had struggled with hormone issues. And I remember growing up watching my mom really, really struggle and thinking to myself, oh my God, that's coming for me. And then when I was living with my dad and his wife, um, my first stepmother, um, she would constantly point out how horrible of a person I was when I was on my period. And mm-hmm. how I just, all of these behaviors came out of me. And I, a lot of it, she was just villainizing me, but a lot of it, maybe some of it was, maybe I was struggling with PMS symptoms and maybe I was struggling with mood swings, definitely a big part of my journey for sure. And mm-hmm. so I think back then I did think it was the manifestation of what was going on behind the scenes was well, the hormone issues because for women, it's really one of the first vital signs. We'll, it's, it's the, our hormones are the first to wave the white flag. They're like, hello, hello, we need help here before other things begin to ensue. Right. And so as I looked down the path of my family's history, every woman I knew struggled with, with um, hormones. But I think, again, it was the response to something else. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that, you know, so many of us have that lineage, obviously, mm-hmm. on our maternal yeah. sides, but it's it's that awareness of, you know, um, not just the biological and physiological, you know, fluctuations of hormones and how that affects us, but then this idea of trauma infused into that and sort of the the stories that are put upon the hormones in the sense of how we show up because our hormones are fluctuating, right? That that's very, there's all kinds of stuff that's put on us. You know, I know in my, the culture that I come from South Asian culture, you know, in India and I'm first generation, my mom tells me and my younger sister, you know, she has told us for years about how many restrictions were put on women when they were menstruating. It's just, it's part of the culture. And it's so interesting because it's like, it's, it's a way to control women in a lot of ways. And it's putting these stories upon them of them being weaker or not strong enough or not capable enough or taking away their power. So there's so many complicated, I think, issues wrapped up in, in hormones, um, for women. So I, I think that that's a really important point that you're making, um, about thinking about, not only your hormonal health and how it's showing up physically and even mentally or emotionally, but then also what are the stories and what's the lineage? What's the trauma associated with it? Mm, Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right there too, especially for when our period comes, our menstrual, like our menstrual, um, you know, bleed is there's a lot of control on women there, you know, the narrative, the stories, Mm -hmm. um, and then you know, you're right. All over the world, there are major restrictions like girls getting pulled out of school or girls not seeing their families. Right. Right. And so I just want to, you know, I want to go back to one thing, which is, you know, your story of, yes, you know, you making that connection between the trauma and then the symptoms that were showing up for you in your twenties and thirties. So, you know, tell me about that. Like, you know, what was the catalyst for you to sort of think about, well, 
maybe this is about my hormones and it's not just me being overworked and tired and going to school and, you know, doing all these things. How did you, how did you come to that? Conclusion? Absolutely. Well, it was about a decade Mm -hmm. of of running from my problems, of running from my symptoms. And every time I checked in with family members, practitioners, my, my mom, I got the same runaround that it's just how women feel. It is just how women operate. Like, welcome to womanhood. Welcome to being exhausted. Welcome to being stressed and overwhelmed. Welcome to all PMS symptoms. Welcome to period pain. Like, yeah, now you're living as a woman. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, then I'm just going to keep pushing through. I'm going to keep moving on through. But I remember that day so vividly when I was heading off to go see patients. I had about 20 patients on the books that day. And I remember waking up that morning, I could not lift my head up off the pillow. And I remember, I remember just this, this overwhelming panic, this fear that just, oh, just cloaked me of like, oh my God, what have you done? What have you done to yourself? And I, I was thinking like, I've got to, like, I was just, strategizing and maneuvering. Like, how do I get out of my bed? How do I get myself up? And I remember thinking to myself, like, how are you going to take care of yourself if you can't or take care of your patients, if you can't even take care of yourself right now? And um, so I knew something wasn't right. I knew I started to look at all the symptoms that were adding up migraines, bloating, terrible PMS symptoms, pain, um, chronic fatigue. Oh, it just, all of it, it just stacking the deck. And I was like, I've got to have some massive fatigue symptom that's got to be related to my hormones. And sure enough, I went and got my labs run. Everything validated my, my experience. But in 2010, we didn't have a diagnosis for fatigue and chronic fatigue or burnout. And so I was just given birth control and Xanax and sent on my way. And that was it. And I remember looking at these scripts and I'm like, this isn't going to get me anywhere. And so before I was a practitioner, I was a biochemist for many years. And so I was a great researcher that I knew I could do. So I dug into the research and it took me three years to climb myself out of this dark, exhausting hole that I was in. In that defining moment, I was like, I know if I'm struggling with this right now, I can't even imagine how many women have a derivative version and, and so many other things that are going on. And that's when I really understood how the endocrine system worked, you know, the conversation between my brain and my hormones, the hierarchy of hormones and how they work in the body. I mean, I had metabolic dysfunction. I had so many things going on with me um, that were just driven by external factors. My hormones were just doing the best they could for as long as they could until they just were like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Uh, And so I had to go clean up the external factors. So that obviously your personal experience then made you say, okay, I, I'm, I know that there's other women who are suffering from this, who are being challenged by this, and I'm going to help them. Tell me about your sort of process of, you know, how do you get people started on sort of resetting their hormones and, and what do you do? Where, where do you start with that? It seems like such a big, big issue to tackle. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I think, I think what's important to know is what are the drivers that contribute to hormonal imbalance to begin with? And those are toxins, clearly environmental toxins, endocrine disruptors. And then the next thing I always love to look at, you know, and how, how you're living your life is, you know, are you living your life on, on adrenaline and cortisol? And, you know, what does that look like? Are you triggering up that stress response system and how often, and then, um, and then, 
where, if, if so, is trauma contributing to that? And more so what I mean by that is, you know, our life experiences, our traumas, what we've been through are going to dictate how I handle that traffic circumstance or how I handle that text message coming through. And so how, what, what kind of, what's the fluidity there? Like, how are you responding to those are you, do you have any level of vagal tone? Um, do you have any, any, any ability to, 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 to naturally fire off that parasympathetic or are you just constantly, your body just knows to automatically activate the sympathetic, that stress response system. Is that the only way of operating? So trying to figure that out. Um, next is gut and liver support. And so I think, you know, if the gut is just not doing so great, which is for a lot of us is, is the situation how do we start to really nourish our gut? So food is a major player here. Um, and then and then nutrient deficiencies too. I, for a lot of us, especially as women, we just burn through a lot. And then the last thing is gonna be clearly the mindset and the self-care piece. Um, and uh, were you me? Were you, were you addicted to stress? Are you addicted to stress? Um, did you believe that self-care is selfish and time-consuming and self-indulgent? Like you have, you don't have, have time for that, especially as a mama. Is it your family first? And anything, you know, anything more than that is just extravagant. Um, and then the mindset is, do you even think that you deserve wellness? Do you even think that you deserve the energy, that abundance capacity. I definitely didn't believe I deserved any of that either. I didn't know I didn't think I deserved any of it. I just thought they're bigger priorities than me out there. And so I think getting, dialing that into all of those components are what, what we can, what, what can really serve us, um, in, in getting our body back on track. Um, and that first step to me is the mindset piece, the self-care piece, and then nutrition. Those are going to be the big, the big game changers. Right. So that's comprehensive. I love that it's, it's looking at every aspect of life. You know, again, this is something we talk about in Ayurveda all the time that you have to look at all aspects of your life and how those are contributing to health and illness. How are they causing symptoms that are showing up and really considering all of those aspects? Because if you only focus on environmental toxins or toxins coming from food, you're missing so much of the picture, um, even though those are very important, as you said. So maybe let's back up a little and say, you know, let's start with three. Three steps that you could say that women could take to really sort of start to reset their hormones on their own, to just start this process at home by themselves. Absolutely. I would say the first step I would recommend is getting a morning and evening routine or rituals. Mm. Um, that, I love that. that. Yes, that nourish you and that love you up. Um, and if you want to take it a step further is to grab a journal mm-hmm. and to write out five things, 10 things total, five things that are free and five things that cost a little bit of money, maybe like $10 max that you love to do that bring you joy. And what I found is that most women have never made this list. Yeah. And have no idea what this looks like. And incorporate one to two of those into your week. So build them in calendar. And then with the rituals, we're not, I'm not talking about anything crazy here. I'm not talking about, you know, lavished, you know, meditations and, <laughs> right. and bubble baths and massages. I'm not talking about any, I'm talking about non-negotiable for survival is what I'm talking about. And so in the morning, maybe it is a, I always recommend women get outside in the sun 
reset those circadian rhythms, um, tell the cortisol awakening response that you love it, that you want it to fire off. Tell those little mitochondria, I'm going to power you up, you know, so that even if that sleep last night was not so great, we'll talk about that in just a second. At least you told your body in the morning, we are ready to roll. Um, have a warming tea in the morning, maybe a little bit of apple cider vinegar, or even set the digestive system with some lemon water. These are all very small little things. And then grab either, I, I always love either grab a crystal and list off three things in the morning that you are grateful for. For me, I love journaling it out. So writing it out, um, journaling it out, something that, you know, all the things that you're grateful for, and maybe even the big priorities for your day. So you just have clarity. I think for us as women, setting the tone for our day is so, so critical. That way, the day doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. For you. And don't get 100%. into that text message. Don't get in those emails because I'll tell you what, the only thing inside of those emails and text messages are people, other people's needs. And what we do naturally, easily, unconsciously is tend to other people's needs and stop yourself from doing it, you know? And so that way you're, you're about your own needs. And then one of my other favorite morning rituals is I grab a, just a beautiful essential oil blend, like a citrus blend, and they fire off happy neurotransmitters like dopamine and, and serotonin. And I just breathe it in. And just really, just again, helps to set the tone for my day. And so every single one of these, one of these or two of these, whatever feels right for you, we're talking about five to 10 minutes and it just gets you centered in how your day is going to play out for you. One thing I just sort of want to click into is that what you said is that these are simple things and this is not about having a, an elaborate 45 minute morning routine. This is about doing something for three minutes, for five minutes. That's all it takes to reset your hormones, to shift you from an acute stress response into more of a parasympathetic response. And so I think that that's really important um, to just point out that this is not elaborate. These are small things that we can build into our day. Um, the next thing is, I know that most women have no idea when they're firing off that stress response system. They just don't know. It gets so unconscious and there's lots of cues and that's a different conversation for a different day. But what I recommend as a preemptive is I want women to be sending themselves safety signals to the brain, telling the brain everything is okay. That's why this morning ritual is so critical because these are safety signals to tell the brain we are so good right now. We are okay. Um, but I recommend using your phone to your advantage. I got a, a little picture mm -hmm. of my little baby. Yeah, he's adorable. <laughs> Cute. He's Thank adorable. Um, and um, on your phone, have a chime that goes off every hour a little chime, something really gentle, really nice, no dogs barking, nothing like that to send off your stress response system. And when you hear that chime, I want you to get up. I want you to shake it off, you know, just shake it out and take some deep, deep belly breaths. Um, you know, and the inhale, you know, eight count or a six count, but the exhale being a little bit of a longer count because it's the exhale where we relax. And if we can just breathe, out of that little box in our chest into our diaphragmatic breath, then we really shift. We not only increase our vagal tone, but we also, we shift over to parasympathetic again, and we just can reset the system. And if we can do that on the hour, every hour, we're talking about less than 60 seconds to do this. If, if that's all you have, that'll, that'll again, retrain the brain and retrain the body that everything is okay. So I, I love that ritual. I, I have it on mine myself. 
And then, and then I think we also, it, we should adorn ourselves with some evening rituals as well. You can't, you can't race runner, you know, Tasmanian devil your way into bed either. That right. doesn't work. Right. And your brain's just firing off all the things that you need to do tomorrow or all the things you didn't finish that day. And so I recommend you could have a little diffuser running with some lavender and some cedar wood, have a book that you're reading, like actually reading um, and, or have a beautiful meditation to listen to, but electronics off, you know, dark room, cool, just set the tone for a great sleep experience. And then what I would recommend, this is my favorite way to end my days. I have a crystal by my bed as well. And cause at this point I'm not writing, I'm not, I'm not engaging in that kind of activity, but I grab a crystal and I list off all the things that happened for me that day that I'm grateful for that day. And that's usually how I end my night. Now, since I am exhausted, um, usually I fall asleep in the middle of this ritual and my husband finds the crystal in the bed. Somewhere. <laughs> it's amazing. very round and soft. And so it, it's not going to cut anybody, but, um, that is how I end my night. So whatever derivative of a sleep routine that, that you love, that, that nourishes you 15 minutes to a half hour, like our bodies just deserve that. Yeah. to really wind it down a, a beautiful tea you know, could have before going to bed. Um, and then you're just really giving yourself that opportunity to allow your body for that rest. And ideally, and I know you're a big proponent of this as well. I know that lunch is the biggest meal in, yep. in um, Ayurveda, but also if you do do dinner, eat three plus hours before going to bed at night, um, let your digestive system settle, let your body you work all that out. Um, cause eating and digesting is such an energetic process. It requires so much of our energy. Um, and then our brain and our body for it to replenish and reset. Um, we, we need that, that three plus hours to kind of clean up shop, especially the brain does a huge reset, a huge washing of sorts, um, where we clean up all the amyloid plaque and everything that could be building up. And so if your body and your blood is having to focus on the digestive system, you're just not going to be able to do that. Right. Exactly. Now, those are amazing, amazing tips and, and some beautiful practices for both a morning routine and evening routine. So thank you for sharing that. You know, I just want to shift gears a little bit and tag back to something that you were talking about before, which is hormonal shifts that we should be aware of through our menstrual cycle, because, you know, we cycle every month mm -hmm. and our hormones are going up and down and that can really affect our mood and our emotions, but also just the physical symptoms that start to show up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I would love to walk you through the four cycles of our menstrual cycle and then some things that we can do to love up on our bodies as we go through each cycle. That would be amazing. Yay. Okay. So phase one of that, the four phases that I just mentioned in our menstrual cycle, as you, as you mentioned, normally we run on a 28 days, uh, the average is 28 days, but women naturally it's safe to go from 25 to like 33 days. You know, we can fall anywhere within that spectrum. So I don't want women to think, oh my gosh, I don't have a 28 day cycle. What's going on. And also if you don't know how many days your cycle is, or you're not tracking your cycle, please, 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 please track your cycle. You, you'll learn so much about your body. You'll learn so much about any type of warning signs, um, kind of you'll just, your, your mental cycle is a fifth vital sign. It tells you so much about you. It's one of the best indicators for what is going on in our bodies as women. So day one is the day we start to bleed. 
And that happens um, when all of our hormones have literally taken a massive nosedive. So progesterone, testosterone, and estrogen plummeted. I know you felt that those first five, five days leading up, right? That, that, you know, basically day 20 into day 28, we start to really begin to feel that shift because that is when progesterone was peaking and it's beginning to start to drop. So is estrogen and testosterone. So by the time we get to day one, they are very low. Now, not you just gave birth to a baby low, but close. It's pretty, they're pretty low. And so we're going to have a little bit of not very much energy here. This is very much a take phase, meaning it is your time to take. Um, so it's really nourish your body. We are more insulin resistant right now. So just be mindful of that. I know car, we're, we're, our bodies are asking for carbs. They're asking for relaxation, but do the healthy carbs, do things like sweet potatoes, lots of green leafy veggies, squashes, um, gluten-free grains. These are the types of carbs that we're looking for. Things that are going to nourish our gut microbiome, but also kind of give us that comfy, warm feeling that we're looking for here in, um, in the first couple of days of our cycle. Now by day seven or so it's day five, day six, day seven, you're going to estrogen and testosterone beginning to rise up. This is also in the follicular phase. Um, but now we're getting energy. We're getting that surge of energy. We can start working out a little bit harder. Those first couple of days we're talking about like yoga, Pilates, dancing, hikes, walks, nothing super crazy, nothing, nothing super strenuous. Your body, it's just having a menstrual bleed is a very energetic process. We've got to honor that. But now the bleed's almost over. We're stepping into the second half of that follicular phase. And all of a sudden you're beginning to feel pretty good. And so harder, hardcore workouts, maybe if you're loving a little bit of intermittent fasting, you can kind of play with that a little bit more. Um, we can, we can step up um, more of, you know, energetic foods, like you know, yummy, healthy fats and proteins and all of that. So we're feeling really good there. We have more insulin flexibility and sensitivity here because estrogen is on the rise. So estrogen is an insulin supportive hormone. Um, and that just allows for us to do more adventurous things, go on dates, go out, dress, dress the way, just dress sexy, feel good in your body, kind of just do more outgoing activities. Then we head into um, what we call phase three of our cycle, which is ovulation. Now, ovulation is the main event of our cycle, not our period, it, ovulation. This is where right. every, this is where <laughs> conception is happening. And what a lot of women don't know is your window here is very small. It's very small. You're talking about that egg gets released and you got 24 hours to make it happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I know your grandma or your auntie may have said, someone can sneeze on you and you can get pregnant anytime. That is not true. <laughs> and any woman who has been trying to get pregnant, they know that that window is very small. And so you got 24 hours. If you're trying to get pregnant, that's your window to make it happen. Um, and this is a time where we are feeling very sensual. Libido is pretty high, feeling really good. Oxytocin is coursing through our bodies. So this is a really nurturing time, nourishing time. Lots of hugs for girlfriends, maybe girlfriend dates, definitely partnership dates um, where we really want to just tend and befriend our people. Um, and then that is usually between days, let's say 13 and 17. It can really vary as well. Most times, let's just say if we're on a 20 day cycle, this is day 14. Then what's so great about ovulation is how robust that ovulatory cycle is. We, we create a corpus luteum on the back end of that. That's the release of the egg. And then there's a corpus luteum and depending on how robust that corpus luteum is, 
progesterone is created from there. And so now we are now in the luteal phase of the cycle, the second phase of the cycle. And that first week, we're still feeling pretty good. We're still able to work out pretty good and, and really, um, you know, maybe do some outgoing things those first couple of days, but then you're going to find yourself feeling a little bit more inward. This is where creativity and reading and researching kind of comes into play, really doing things that are going to nourish you. Day, between day 19 and day 20, that is the peak of progesterone. And you're going to feel pretty good there. But then after that, again, the decrease starts to happen. This is where we get into the PMS zone. So it's time to really kind of take things back a notch, maybe not schedule big interviews, maybe not schedule big projects. This is really a time for introspection and art and relaxation and just really nourishing our bodies again in that take phase. So that really moves us through the, the four cycles, the four menstrual cycle parts of our menstrual cycle and really how we can use it to our advantage and how we should really be using it to, based on what our hormones are doing and how they're shifting um, to really amplify what's going on with our bodies. What I think is so beautiful about what you just did is that you really took away the narrative, the negative narrative that there is around our hormonal cycle, around our mental cycle, and really focused in on the fact that, you know, there are changes happening. Like, I think so many of us women, we know this. I mean, I'm a doctor for God's sake, and I know this. But when you put it this way, I'm even finding myself thinking, oh my gosh, I don't even tune in that much to all of the changes that are happening and how that's really affecting me. And then honoring myself and thinking about, you know, what is the best for me to be doing at this time, given the hormonal sort of makeup or sort of the levels that are inside of me naturally? And why am I not sort of playing to those strengths in a way, right? And so I think that recasting sort of the way that we look at our menstrual cycle is so beautiful and so incredibly empowering. So thank you for doing that. I think that was just so incredibly helpful. And, you know, one thing I know that I know every listener is probably thinking is like, oh my gosh, I couldn't keep track of all that. I don't even, I don't remember everything. And so I will make sure that we link um, in the show notes to Dr. Marisa's books that have all of this, I know, laid out quite uh, well. And, you know, I'll create like a little, a little handout based on um, Dr. Marisa's uh, uh, books and work as well with some links to some of the things that she does so that you guys can have that as well as a, as a resource to refer to because we talked about so much. So um, thank you for doing that. That was, that was really enlightening and, and really helpful to sort of recast how we look at our, our, our hormonal cycles. Um, the last thing I just really want to do, and I mean, we've been talking a while and we've gone over our time, of course, um, is, you know, I just want to ask you, what would be your advice to women who are really struggling with their hormones, that we're really struggling with not feeling well? What, what, would, what would be a piece of advice for them? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the things I always recommend, if you can do it, is get a full hormone panel, just so you have a sense of what is going on with your body. If you can order a Dutch test, if you can do a full metabolic panel, look at your, your, your insulin, hemoglobin A1C, like look at the full picture of what is going on and then start off, you know, again, keep it as simple and as amazing. You're just as 
nourishing as possible. And so if, if that, if all that looks like in the beginning is just having a morning that is yours, you know, with some, you know, nourishing foods, some metabolically friendly foods, you know, yummy waters and teas and a lot of self-care, like that is a perfect, great start for managing what is going on. Again, your body is responding to, to what's happening to it, to its environment. And they're starting to love our body. It's having that knowing that we have the ability to heal, that we we have the ability to make empowered decisions for our bodies. That's going to be the first step to, to start. And then start dialing in the nutritional piece. You know, nutrition mm-hmm. is medicine. And there's a lot of foods that we're eating that our bodies and our hormones are just like, ah, please stop. And your liver and your gut are also saying the same thing. And so I would say also be looking at what you're eating and then let's start, let's start crowding in the good foods so that we're crowding out the not so not so great foods for our body. Um, but I think foods move us in one of two directions. They're either moving us away from or towards inflammation. And if we can get that under control as well, that is that is a huge game change for us. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you said. The last question I have for you, which I feel like is a really good place for us to sort of, you know, end our time together. If I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing. What comes up for you? I think what com- what comes up for me is like the spark. Like what can spark healing? Like what is that first initial step for you? Um, those are the things that pop up. And I always think for me is, you know, a spark is always something that that we can do with more ease and grace that gives us confidence and gives us um, hope. And mm-hmm. so for me, that's a big part of my my teaching is how, can women integrate just that first little spark, that first step, that first instant win that says to them, I can do this. I can, I can continue doing this. I can continue adding things in. So whether it is, you know, a five minute or a two minute breath work um, ritual, or it's an essential oil, or it's a green smoothie recipe, or it's a sexy little water they can make, like what's going to move the needle just a little bit and create that spark of, of taking that next step. Yeah. And I think you've done that so beautifully for us today. So thank you so much. If you love this podcast, and I so hope you did, please subscribe. That way you'll get real-time updates anytime I post a new episode. And if you're feeling really inspired, please leave a review so that others can find this podcast more easily. If you want to learn more, visit me on the interwebs at avantikumarsingh.com. And you can subscribe to my newsletter, where I send exclusive invites to my events, special announcements, and give you more self-healing tools and tips. And if you want to hang out even more with me, I spend most of my time on Instagram. You can find me at Avanti Kumar Singh, and we can connect more there. Until next time, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing. Because healing starts within.